This message first aired on the radio on August 22, 2003. We're studying the dispensation of law. This dispensation, a long one, beginning with the birth of Israel and, and ending with God setting Israel aside and bringing in the new dispensation, which is the one that we enjoy ourselves today, which is the dispensation of the church, which is his body. And in in looking at this really large topic, of course we have to pick and choose, and we have to formulate a way to summarize it and outline it. And the way that I've chosen to do that this time in 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 bringing the aspects out to you, is to take out of the New Testament uh, the viewpoint on the Old Testament with reference, really, to the dispensation that we're in. And we did that yesterday. We took up the 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we took up the particular phrasing. It was very br- It's very brief phrasing, but it we, we took up the first portion of, of 1 Corinthians 10, We left it with the following. If you have your Bible, you can turn to it, as I am turning to it in my own. But it says, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All did eat the same spiritual meat or food, and we looked at the man in the wilderness, and all did drink the same spiritual drink, For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed, that followed the manna, and that rock was Christ, but with many of them God was not pleased. So when we look at the wilderness journey of the children of Israel, and the wilderness journey of the children of Israel, it's kind of a a funny journey in a lot of ways. It's it's an exercise in unbelief. We might even say, we might even call... The wilderness journey of the children of Israel, an exercise in the futility of their own mind in many ways. But uh, when we look at it, we, we can see ourselves, true, we can see ourselves, but we see in it the seeds of the failure of the nation of Israel, and we see what it is that unbelief brings to us. The journey, the wilderness journey of the children of Israel was not to be very long. In, in fact, as men travel, it's an eleven-day, it's an eleven-day trip. It's just uh, that's walking, and that's walking in a large crowd, and it just wasn't supposed to be a long trip for them. Well, we and I say it wasn't supposed to be. Of course, I, I, I'm merely formulating what it could, what could have been, and not what God knew it would be. But in the book of Deuteronomy. We look at the second verse of the first chapter. It says there are eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir unto Kadesh Barnea, and so really from the time that the children of Israel are given the law at Mount Sinai to the time they come to Kadesh Barnea is just an eleven-day trip, and at that point they should go from Kadesh Barnea immediately crossing over uh, into the promised land, and they're there, and that's it. But that's not what happened. In fact, what happened was that the children of Israel went into unbelief. So today, we're going to talk about, really, uh, several incidents, a few, just a few incidents, not several, just a few incidents 
of severe and serious unbelief in the wilderness by the children of Israel. And we're going we're gonna to take it at the beginning, and we're going to especially focus in on Kadesh Barnea and the, the landmark event that happened there. But before we do that, we're going to look at what it meant that they all drank of the same spiritual drink as, as it comes to the Scripture, because there's, two, there's really three occasions where the children of Israel have a water. The first time they go without water, they come to the place of Marah. We looked at that yesterday. And they said, well, what shall we drink? And the Lord showed a tree to Moses. And when Moses cast the tree into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And he thereby gave them sweet water. Now, when we look at that, when we think about the idea of a tree being thrown into bitter waters, of course, we think of our Lord Jesus Christ who hung on the tree, cursed as everyone who hung on the tree. And indeed, the Word of God being the water, a bit, the water being a picture of the Word of God. The Word of God is against us as sinners because it is the law of God, and it defines us to be sinners, and the Word of God is against us. And yet, when the bitter waters were bitter against the children of Israel, Moses threw the tree into the water, uh, cast it in there, and the waters were made sweet, and that's what happens to the Word of God, which is against us. The law is against us, defining to be sinners. We now find the Word of God to be for us, telling us about the Lord Jesus Christ and giving us the way of faith, which is the way of salvation. The law was unable to save us, but the Lord Jesus Christ did save us himself personally, and then the Word of God brings in a better hope for us than what we had before. Now, that's the first occasion where the children of Israel grumbled because they had no water. Then they began to grumble because they had no food. And, of course, God gave them manna. We looked at that yesterday. He gave them quail at night, manna in the morning. And then we come to Exodus 17, where all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin, and their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim. And in Rephidim, this place, they began to murmur. It says there was no water for the people to drink. So here we look at this. This is the first time that they, as they're on their journey, having having had the fresh water, the bitter water made, made fresh, now they come to Rephidim. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses, or they began to argue or murmur. Really, this is murmuring with Moses. And this is what they did all the time. They murmured and complained against Moses. And finally, we're going to see that they, in their hearts and in their politics, actually reject Moses, and that will have a more serious consequence. So, Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, verse 2, Exodus 17, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Why are you tempting the Lord? Or wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Why are you doing that? And the people thirsted for water, and the people murmured against Moses, and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses said, What shall I say unto this people? They almost are ready to stone me. And the Lord told Moses, Go before, take with thee the elders of children, children of Israel, and thy rod, wherefore thou smotest the river, 
Take it in thine hand and go, before I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, so that the, and that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now here we find at Horeb, the rock, that Moses is supposed to strike. In Exodus, uh, in, in Exodus 19 and 20, we'll see the giving of the law. And then in, in Numbers chapter 20, we will see that Moses is again told now not to strike the rock again, but to speak to the rock, and out will come water. And so we now look at Exodus 17, verse 7, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, which is temptation for them, uh, Massa meaning temptation because they were tempting God, and Meribah meaning strife or fighting because they are fighting against Moses, himself, Moses. And because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And so, so here is how they received water to drink. And then we have this interesting verse. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now, here, here's Amalek, uh, the, the sneaky bunch that they are, uh, the first enemies of Israel. We've talked about them and how that God had a perpetual enmity against Amalek. And, and God will finally, ultimately destroy Amalek, although they, they die hard. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joseph, Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone, set it under him. He sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, one on the one side, one on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joseph, di- and, excuse me, Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto M- Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I'll utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi, or the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And so we see that God provided water through the rock, and the rock was to be struck once. Thereafter, the rock was to be spoken to. However, Moses, who who was given the law, and therefore, and he was given the law through the, as we learn in the New Testament, through the agency of angels, through the mediation of angels, he was given the law. He became the law giver to Israel, though the law receiver from God's point of view. Later in the book of Numbers, when the children of Israel grumble again, and we looked at that yesterday, and, the, and we be, actually began to, when we look at Numbers 20, we see the second time that Moses faces this the, again, the people with, that had no water. And uh, here it was in Kadesh, and this is their second time in Kadesh, uh, where Miriam died, what we read yesterday. And the Lord spoke unto Moses in verse 7, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it will give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, 
So shalt thou give the congregation and their beasts to drink. Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear ye now, hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. But here we find the failure of Moses. Here we find Moses finally lost his temper and his patience with the children of God in the wilderness. He finally exceeded the bounds of the word of God that was given to him. He destroyed, in fact, a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ by striking the rock twice, or by striking, even though he struck it twice this time, by striking the the rock a second time. He was supposed to speak to the rock, not strike it again. And in that... He destroyed the picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was once stricken. He is our rock. He was once stricken. He's only a one-time sacrificed. Thereafter, he ever lives to make intercession for us. We do not need to strike the Lord Jesus Christ a second time. He does not need to be sacrificed again. Whether bloody or unbloody sacrifice, whether a fake sacrifice or a real one, he does not need to be sacrificed again. This is one of the problems I have with with Romanism, who who claim that in an unbloody way they sacrifice the Lord Jesus Christ again and again in that awful thing called a mass, and that's how unbiblical it is. It's so it's such an unbiblical thing that Moses was kept out of the promised land for destroying the picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, once sacrificed and thereafter only spoken to. And so here Moses did not enter into the land of promise, and neither did almost all of the children of Israel. Neither did they enter into the land of promise. And why didn't they enter in the land of promise? Well, it's because they did not believe. That's the root cause. They entered not in because of unbelief. That's what the scripture says. But let me say this. Moses was allowed to see the kingdom of God. He was able to see into the promised land. When he died, he was taken up on a mountain there in Mount Nebo, and he saw the good land. He saw the promised land. He was not allowed to enter it. That's also a picture for us. We're going to see how the children of Israel failed when we come back. We're talking about the children of Israel, and the children of Israel tended into unbelief, and there's good lessons here, and we want to get to them. There's so many examples of it, of, of the behavior really that we have, and we want, to, we want to hit a couple of high points. And so one of the high points, we're going to hit two of them today, I trust. One of them is at the giving of the law, when Moses goes up into the mountain and the children of Israel fall into idolatry and serious unbelief. And another one is when they go to Kadesh Barnea, which is, a, which is an event very little known by most Christians. And so we'll now look at Exodus chapter 19, where Moses, it tells us this, it's uh, Moses call, uh, came and called for the elders of the people, verse 7, and laid before their faces all the words which the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, 
Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. Now I'll point out to you that the children of Israel here are now at the mount of the burning bush. They are at Mount Sinai. And be ready against the third day, it says in verse 11, For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that you go not up into the mountain, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death, or a dying he will die. This is the same phrase given to Adam. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be a beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people, and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings, and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. Now you want to know what Moses said. We found that out, we find that out uh, in the New Testament. Moses said also said, "I exceeding fear and quake." And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, verse 18, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon the Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called, called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest, saying, Set bounds about the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake to them. Now here God begins to speak his word aloud while the people stood afar off, and God gives to the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. Now, I can read these here, but uh, our purpose is to really show and, and to go to the unbelief of the children of Israel. So so I'm not going to read the, 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 the whole giving of the law that, that is given here to the children of Israel. I, I don't care to, 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 to do that, uh, not because it's not important, not because it's not an extremely valuable study, not because there's not tremendous amount of learning to be done, and certainly not to dishonor in any way this courageous man in Alabama, Judge Moore. But frankly, our purpose in the Bible study is not to teach the Ten Commandments here, but to give an overview of the dispensation of law. And these commandments, though righteous and though absolutely 
correct about every moral right, this giving of the law is against us. It's against us. It's not for us. And that's not, that's not the fault of the law. That's our, that's our fault. This log that tells us, thou shalt not covet, don't you hear what it says? The, you that covet? This, this law that says, thou shalt not steal, don't you hear what it says? You who steal? Uh, it defines us to be a sin, uh, sinners. And we find ourselves against every ordinance that it says. And so it is not in our, it is not in our favor. It is against us. Not because it's evil and we're good, but quite the opposite, because it's good and we're evil. And so it's opposite. It, it opposes us. And so here Moses now goes up into the mountain and the Lord also gives him a pattern. The Lord gives him a pattern of the tabernacle in the wilderness. But while he is up in the mountain, the children of Israel, as the as it tells us in the New Testament, the people rose up to play. And let me now take from, because it's better summarized elsewhere in the Scripture, and for the sake of time, we, we, we're better off taking it up uh, in the New Testament. But while Moses is up in the mountain, the children of Israel determine that he's up there too long and that he's not going to come back. He was only up there 40 days. And they decide, well, we don't know what's happened. They can't even wait 40 days, let alone 2,000 years for the Lord Jesus to come back. And so while they're up in the mountain, here we read in Acts 7, in Stephen's uh, in Stephen's preaching, it says, This Moses our fathers would not obey, verse 39, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts, in their thoughts, in their minds, turned back again unto Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So God called Moses up to himself. The children of Israel actually asked for that because they couldn't they couldn't stand hearing that loud trumpet and the voice of God and the smoking of the mountain. They they were scared. And so Moses goes up into the mountain in the cloud, and as God delivers to him the law and the pattern of uh, his testimony that uh, will go before the children of Israel in the wilderness as they proceed on to Kadesh Barnea and then into the promised land, while God is giving that law, the children of Israel say to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us, for as this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And they went about calf-making. Literally, you could about read this this way. They were a calf-making and in, the, in those days. And they offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Now, the next verse that, that Stephen speaks, Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. This covers quite some number of years. In fact, Stephen in his... Uh, or Stephen in his preaching quotes the prophet Amos and now covers the entire history of the nation of Israel in a couple of verses when he said, Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, O you house of Israel, you have offered to me slain beasts and sacrifice by the space of forty years in the wilderness. Have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrifice by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch, and the star of your god Ramphan, figures which you made to worship them, and I will carry you away 
beyond Babylon. Let me say that this covers the entire history. This this turning in their heart to Egypt really prophesies and speaks of the entire history of Israel until God turns them over and starts up the time of the Gentiles, which time the world is still in and in which time we live. So we see Gentile world power, for example. So this is so characteristic of the children of Israel to go into idolatry. And, of course, not only did they go into idolatry here and there with this one and that one, but Aaron joined them. Yea, not only joined them, but Aaron did the engraving work of the calf. Of the, he, did the, he did the actual, we might even say he did the, the sweaty work. He did the heavy lifting of the making of the golden calf. He engraved it with an engraving tool. And this now speaks of the Jews' religion. Not only did the, did the Jewish people here in the wilderness, not only did Israel in the wilderness turn in their hearts to go back to Egypt, but they also took the religion of the Jews, or the, actually the, they took the, the appointments of Jehovah, they took the appointments of God and turned it into their own religion and became li- uh, and turned the faith of Jehovah into just another religion in the world. And that's something they did permanently. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was on the earth, he talked about the, the Jew. He, he really said, your house is left to you des- desolate. At first he came to them and he cleansed the temple. In fact, he cleansed the temple on more than one occasion. And uh, the Lord Jesus said, my father's house is a house of is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. In other words, the principle is this. My father intended these things to be for his purpose, to reach in part of and part of his purpose was to reach the nations with the truth. You have taken the things of God and turned it into your own purposes. And that is the heart of what evil is. Evil is not a bad thing. Evil are good things that God intended for a particular particular used use turn to the lusts and use of men. Then the Lord Jesus Christ having cleansed the temple twice early in his ministry at the end of his ministry said your house is left to you desolate. And now of course the house of God was no longer the house of God, but became the house of the Jews. Uh, the same thing was true with the feasts of Jehovah, which God gives in Leviticus chapter 23 in some detail. He gives seven feasts of Jehovah. They end up becoming the feasts of the Jews. In the New Testament, they're referred to as the feasts of the Jews. They took these feasts, which God intended to foreshadow the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, both his first coming and his second coming, and they turned them into their religion. Now, brother, maybe you're under the influence of this burgeoning movement called the Hebrew Roots Movement, whereby you think you can just keep the feasts of Jehovah anyway, even though the Lord Jesus Christ has or will fulfill every one of them. Uh, This is not for you to do. This is a wrong thing for you to do. It is wrong for you to turn to a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ when you have our Lord Jesus Christ himself already. As one brother of mine put it, it's it's a very interesting way that he put it. I like it very much. He said, this would be like being with your wife, 
but instead of being with her, you say, well, honey, I have your picture. I'll just assume be with your picture as you. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. It's illogical. But worse than that, not only is it illogical, it's disgraceful and it's hurtful and it's destructive to your relationship in the case of the picture with your wife and in the case of going back into Judaism, it's a serious wrongdoing and destructive of your relationship and, by the way, destructive of your future reward. I say that because I know uh, from my experience that there is an increasing turning of God's people back to the rudimentary things, including the things of God, which he's no longer using. And I'll give you another example of that. The children of Israel during the time of King Hezekiah were turning the brass serpent on a stake that Moses made into some kind of a thing to look upon, gaze upon, or use really as an idol. And Hezekiah called it Nehushtan a piece of brass, and melted it down, and that was the end of that. So here the children of Israel begin their own religion. That's what they do. They turn in their heart toward Egypt. A religion is man's way to God, and, of course, it was rooted in the lust of their flesh. They wanted what this world had. They did not want to walk by faith. They did not want to walk in the wilderness. Uh, They were tired of being free already. A few days into their journey, they were already tired of being free, and they're going to persist in that behavior uh, throughout their journey, such that out of 600,000 men, plus women and children, out of the 600,000 men that came out of Egypt, including Moses himself, only two, that is only Caleb and Joshua, uh, entered in to the promised land. And we're going to see how they entered into the promised land because they didn't enter in there by works. They entered into the promised land by the grace of God through faith, and that was faith in his word despite what it was that they saw. Well, we're looking through the failures of the nation of Israel. We find them uh, murmuring uh, continually and We've come now to the book of Numbers, where we're going to turn to the book of Numbers, and we're going to look at this incident, which I've been referring to as the incident of Kadesh Barnea. We're going to give the context of it. I'm going to read fairly extensively, so let me now read along. In Numbers, I'll actually start with Numbers 12, as we see how the children of Israel depart from Moses and then depart from the Lord. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now this is Zipporah, who's a Cushite. Notice that Miriam is named ahead of Aaron. Uh, I think Miriam started this rebellion against Moses, and they're rebelling against him because of his, because of his wife, whom he found in Midian. So she was really a Midianite, though she, her nationality, that she was from Cush. And there was nothing prohibiting Moses from marrying a Cushite, uh, an Ethiopian woman, and there's nothing wrong with anybody else marrying an Ethiopian woman today. Now, there may have been a time where there was, but it was neither when Moses married this woman or nor is it today. And just be rest assured of that kind of thing uh, is just not a problem and ought not to be. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Has he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were on the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, 
and said unto, and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they, they three came out, and the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood at the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And, you know, people today are not afraid to speak against the servant of the Lord. They just mistreat him like they always have. And don't you uh, be one of them. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle. And behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and where we have, wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one, of de- as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days. After that, let her received in, received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people removed from Hazeroth and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. Now I read this because... Here the people had been lusting for food. God had given them more quails until they were coming out of their noses. And here uh, Miriam now, even Moses' sister, who apparently despises her sister-in-law, that's that's my take on this, and uses it as an occasion to oppose Moses and uh, formulate herself through her, through her weak brother Aaron, obviously. Behind every strong woman you'll find a weak man fomenting a rebellion to lead the children of Israel. And, of course, this is a trade union movement. I'm going to put it this way. Well, I don't want to call it a trade union. This is a flesh union. This is a lust union movement as the, the sinner's union organizes in its unbelief. Now, this precedes the Lord speaking unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel, of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent from the wilderness of Paran all those were the head of the children of Israel. And I'll skip their names, which is verses 4 through 16 of Numbers 13. And Moses sent, in verse 17, to spy out the land of Canaan. Two of these names you'll remember are Caleb. There's Joshua, the son of Nun, out of the tribe of Ephraim, and there's Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, out of the tribe of Judah. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and he said unto them, Get you up this way southward, and go up into the mountain, and see the land, what it is. Now this, I might say, is in the position of looking forward and not looking backward. When the children of Israel wanted to look backward for their salvation, they could look to the Passover and recall that they came under the blood of the Lamb and that they were saved from the death of the firstborn as the death angel passed over them, and they were formed then into a nation on the basis of what? Grace of God through faith. And so they have the backward-looking faith here. We have a picture of the backward backward-looking faith of the children of Israel. Now they have a forward-looking faith. We've been saved from something. 
what have we now been saved unto, or what is our future? We've been saved from death in Egypt, but will we be saved from a wasted life in the wilderness? That's the question. Right now, here in Numbers 13, that's the question. We have been saved from death in Egypt and bondage, and we're free, and we're never going to go back there, even if we go back in our hearts, even if we go into unbelief, even if we wish we went back there. They cannot go back into Egypt. They have already crossed the Red Sea. They are free people. They have that, but will they be saved from a wasted life in the wilderness? The answer to the question is no, they won't. They will not be saved from a wasted life in the wilderness. And why is that? Well, we'll read on and see. So he says, and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. And I'll point out that the children of Israel asked to send spies in, and God went along with them. Be careful what you ask for. They asked for sight in place of faith. They asked for sight in, in, in place of faith. And God said, well, I'll give you sight, but I'm still going to keep it on the basis of faith. And you watch and see how he does that. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether it be wood therein or not, and be ye of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness's end unto Rehob, as men come unto Hamath. Now these are twelve fellows going up, searching the land. And they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the children of Anak, those are the Anakim, now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, and they came unto the brook of Eskol, or the brook of the grapes, and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. One cluster of grapes. Now I want to tell you, that these grapes, they're plural, they're grapes, but they are one. They're plural, but they're one. They are grapes, ahad. Uh, just for those of you who are listening to certain subtleties. And they bear it between two upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. And the place was called the Brook of Eskel because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days, the number of testing. And God is going to test what? And what does God test? What does God test? We, we talk about God tests, and, and we're under a test, and we're being tested. But what does God test? God only tests one thing. He, he doesn't test your mental abilities. He doesn't test your strength. Uh, he doesn't tempt you with sin. He tests what? Faith. He tests our faith to prove, not to himself, but to us, if we will believe him. And, of course, every time we see God testing Israel in the wilderness, they fail the test. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the children of the, all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. This is verse 26 of Numbers 13. And verse 27, they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sent us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Now they have sight. Here it is, this humongous cluster of grapes, which they bore between two guys on a pole. 
They have these pomegranates. They have figs. They have wonderful fruit of it, and that's what they showed them. They showed them the fruit of the land. They said, here's what we've got. We brought this back for you to look at. Now they can see with their eyes. And they told them and said, We came unto the land whither thou sent us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. And they said, This is a great land. There's wonderful fruit in this land. Here you can even see it. You can see of it. You can see samples of the fruit of the land. Well, what is that a picture of? We have the earnest of the Spirit. To every believer is given the earnest of the Spirit. You've even got a down payment and a sample of the wonderful things God has for you in the future because he's given you a new nature and he's given the indwelling Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, they say, now here's the report, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Now there's their sight. You've got all kinds of enemies in there. And Caleb stilled, Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said this, Let us go up at once, verse 30, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. And the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than us. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. In other words, you aren't going to eat this land. It's going to eat you. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. Now, I want to tell you, Caleb, and really we could say Joshua also, although uh, we haven't read about him, but Joshua is included in this report. We have two reports concerning the land to the people. They have the sight, they can see the fruit, their sight, and now they have two reports, two reports. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Another way of translating that is faith comes by a report, and the report is the word of God. Now, they have two reports. They have an evil report that says, wow, this is scary. We're not going to eat this. It's going to eat us. And Caleb, who says, let us go up at once, for we are well able to overcome it. Two reports, a good report and an evil report concerning the future faith. Faith about the future, not faith that is past. Concerning their future, concerning their hope. And they have two reports. And how does the congregation respond? They respond according to Numbers 14, verse 1. All the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. So they're a bunch of crybabies. Not only are they a bunch of crybabies, they cry all night long. And when they're crying, and when they're being their crybaby selves, you know, sometimes I wonder, I know the Bible distinguishes Jew, Gentile, Church of God. I know this is Israel, but I, I just am having a problem here because this just seems like so many Christians, doesn't it? Doesn't it? They're just crying and complaining and murmuring about this life here below 
in anticipation of the future, and they won't fight their spiritual battle that God gives them, whereas God gave them, and, and they won't believe the report we are well able to overcome. They'd rather believe this report. That land eats up people. We don't eat of it. It eats us. And then, not only are they crybabies, but if that were all, that would be all. And get over it. See, when you're a crybaby, you can get over it, and then you can get back in the game. You quit crying, and then you play. But, oh, no, these crybabies, they're going to go another step further. And this is, a, this, is, this is now why it is that their habitual murmuring finally, finally finishes them off. The children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said to Aaron and Moses, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in this wilderness? Now, they, they, really, they really begin to swear here, what they say. We preferred if God would have just killed us in Egypt if we would have just never put the blood on our doorpost and we'd have just died in that in the, in, in, when the death angel came. It's one way of putting it. Or would God that we die in a wilderness? Well, God's not going to deny himself. He's not going to... If, if we deny him, he'll deny us. If we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. If we believe not, yet he abides faithful, he won't deny himself. So he's not going to... He's not going to put them back into Egypt and let them die there, just even though they ask him to here. But they are going to die in the wilderness. Wherefore hath the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? See who they blame it on? They said one to another, let's make a captain. Let's elect somebody. Let's go back to Egypt. We've had enough of the Lord Jesus Christ. 